Gorge, Tasurgon Gulshib, Marvers Launch, Shayamov, and Shakhtaradi of the Mina Marta Feher Fehedo. Weeds and bushes and trees and all kinds. Challenging is not the word. Broke another one. Another fly gone. Good job of the entire own. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. And with many rivers around Ireland having opened since St. Patrick's Day, this week's episode is with Tipperary's George McGrath of Gundog and Fly YouTube fame. George has fished for over 50 years on the river shore, and he gives us an insight into what works for him on the water. Plus, he laments how wet fly fishing has fallen out of vogue in recent years in favor of a culture of instant gratification. Tom, um, it was a really enjoyable interview, I have to say, and George is a real character. He's a real true hunting and fishing man, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. Yeah, you got a real, got a real insight into the guy. He's really keen, and his his knowledge and on on all things about the shore was yeah. really good. And uh, really interesting there when he mentioned about the wet fly. I was talking to him about that because, um, and he said, you know, when he brings up about, oh, it's it's got to be urine thing now. Uh, just maybe think. I remember that happening uh, to me on the carb here. It, it's kind of, kind of the same situation. Um, I was fishing with Mike Keady, who we've had on the show, and we're in a bay, and there's about 10 boats all buzzer fishing. I presume you're aware that buzzer fishing is its kind of like the lake equivalent of Euronymphic, you know? It's the new way of catching fish, and we're all there, and all the boats are there for about an hour, an hour and a half, and nobody was catching. And the next thing, we saw a few olives popping up, and um, saw a couple of fish moving to them, and we said, they're on olives, they're not on buzzers. So we both switched to wets, and um, God, within I'd say three quarters of an hour, with about five fish, really good fish, caught one straight away covering them, and we were still the only boat after an hour that was wet fly fishing. Nobody changed over. Everybody was just still there, uh, um, buzzer fishing, mechanically, and just going through the motions. Nearly. Going through the motions, like 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 what George was saying that you know it's got to be urine thing and that's it, and that's how we catch fish, you know. And uh, no, we went back to the um, Sean Valach which I put the Irish in now, which is what we say around here for the old way. There's more Irish ahead, by the way. <laughs> yes, <laughs> tune in. <laughs> tune in to find out. Yeah, so we went back to the Sean Valoff that way that day. And um, it was great. It was great. We got him. And it's, it's nice. It's lovely. It's, it just goes to show, you know, sometimes uh, you don't, you know, don't forsake all the old methods. It's it's what's in your face. You know, it's nature is telling you, you know, there was olives. Yeah, yeah there was olives. It was a couple of fish moving, you know, you know, call me Sherlock, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it is amazing. Isn't it? We get into that blinkered way yeah. of doing things and yeah. like salmon fishing is the same as well. You know, people just used to doing, you know, the step and the cast and, you know, just going through it methodically and mechanically, not thinking about, okay, where might the fish be lying in these conditions or something like that. And, and like you're saying with the tactics there, like, yeah, really to, there with the salmon, you know, step and cast and not even thinking maybe, well, maybe I should wait in this spot a bit longer because, that looks really likely over there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but no, yeah, sometimes we just, yeah, we just go into automatic. Don't think. It was interesting because for when you hear this from George, George really came out hard against the Euro Olympic, like, and, <laughs> and dubs as well in the same pattern. My dad as well. no, I felt sorry for you. I really did. <laughs> so if you're a dub, <laughs> Who likes the Euro nymph? Don't listen to this episode. You might be insulted. Like, but uh, I'm both, <laughs> but I'm still laughing. Like, um, I have to say that, like, would you agree with him as much in terms of, you know, the Euro nymph thing? And I, I, I suppose I agree. I know where he's coming at it from. It, it's just becomes too habitual for somebody to just, yeah. I'm just going to Euro nymph and that's it. Like, 
I do agree with that. Well, I, I really see where he's coming from because he sees like a, a, a really good method like wet fly fishing always been, you know, cast aside uh, for something that does work. And, he, and and let's let's be honest, fair play to him. He does say it is incredibly effective method. But, uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, there's a part from that hates to see the wet fly just sort of been almost disparaged, you know, yeah, yeah. or spoke, spoke about disparagingly. You know? Yeah, no, no, that's very true. Actually, just um, finally, before we get to George, um, you competitions are back for you as well. You were out um, competition fishing. Uh, yeah, there's been a couple of competitions. Great. I mean, as you know, I'm really fond of the competitions. So they've started here and uh, Mike Keady, um, myself and himself, uh, fished competition at the weekend, the Uthra 50. Uh, we've had success before. Not, not for us this weekend. Um, it was won by Darren Maguire and Gene Harron. Uh, second second time on on the trot, so fair play to them. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was great. It's really I really enjoyed them. Uh, the week before is a one smaller one in the commercial in Galway. Uh, I look, really enjoyed it. Just meeting up with everybody again, the banter, just getting to meet people. You know, after three well, two you know two solid years of not fishing them, uh, it's just been really good. I love it. And there's a few more coming up now, so look forward to them. Well, sure. Look, let's get back to George McGrath and hear from George what he had to say about River Shore, 50 years of fly fishing on it, what works for him and some great insights about fishing on that river. Incredible river that it is. Uh, but first, George told me about his Gundog and Fly YouTube channel. Well, to be honest about it, I had no idea when I started it off. And I mean, seriously, and it's not false modesty or anything. I had no idea whatsoever that anybody would be interested in what I did, because when I started off, I just basically, I put up a hunting video. I'm into hunting as well. I, I was out shooting pheasants and hunting. I'm, I love gun dogs. I'm just so mad about them. And I was out hunting one day and I just recorded it on this little camera that my wife bought me. It fitted on my, my cap. And I made a complete nutter hands of it. No, I mean, it was the first video I ever recorded. And I did, I did part of it in Irish as well, right? Just that's the way I do things. And um I put the video up and when I look back on it now, I think, oh, my God, it was absolutely terrible in every which way you could imagine, you know. But like what I did was I put up a second video and then a third video and I found that people were becoming interested. But I, I had an awful lot to learn about making videos. I've been doing it now maybe, I think, more than 10 years. And over, over that period of time, like you say, I've gained 10,000 subscribers. But it's very, very slow and very incremental, you know. Like it's the consistency, uh, isn't it, George? Just putting yeah, them out regularly. Yeah, like I, I pump out a video when I'm in Good Farm roughly every week to 10 days, right? But you, you constantly have to come up with relative other new ideas or different slants on things, you know. Like you can only do so many Euro Nymphon videos, you know what I mean? Because it's the same thing, essentially, you know. So, um yeah, it's, it, the, the channel's going very well. But, but the, the strangest thing is, right, my most successful video, right, and I, I'm going to be brutally honest about this, it, I, it, it's now had over 600,000 views, and that's since last September, so that's roughly six months. So it's had 100,000 views a month over the six months, we'll say, right? And it's a video I made just off the cuff. I was stuck for a video to make, and I went out and I said, I'm going to do a video on zeroing a 0.22 rifle. I told a heap of lies in it, right? That's facts. I told a heap of lies. And the whole thing was just done off the cuff. It took me about 10 minutes to do it. And ones that I'd put loads of effort into, 
hardly make any views at all. It's very strange the way the way the internet works. Like the thing that you you might imagine wouldn't people wouldn't be interested in at all is the thing that they are interested in. You know, was it just literally word of mouth like that over the ten years? It just you know just grew and grew over yeah, time. Yeah, grew and grew. It's just like subscribers just started to grow. You know, like I again uh, a couple of hundred subscribers every week. You know, so like I. The ones that people are more interested in, curiously enough, are the hunting ones, right? They're they're more popular than the fishing ones. And I would consider that my fishing videos are way better than the hunting videos, if you like, from my point of view, you know. Um, the fishing videos, I do kind of instructional stuff, and then I just do, I'm out here fishing sort of stuff, and tie flies, and just all general sort of fishing stuff. But yeah, People like the fishing stuff too, you know. I have people who religiously watch them and they comment on them and that kind of thing, you know. So it is, yeah, it's going well for me. I like I like doing it as well, you know. Yeah, I guess Runibug fresh and uh three gaga fair play rights. Yeah, I did go on the right well in the lower snow videos, my dear ach Tizagum not digging gachinia katame raw. Well, I have to say, guys, I, and I just love hearing the cupola focal like that as well. And even George, I was watching your latest vi- or one of your most recent videos, the one from Paddy's Day Fly Fishing, yeah. and just hearing those cupola focal at the start, it just even myself, like I said, I, you know, I don't speak Irish, but I can, you know, understand the couple of folk. And you kind of feel like you're, at least it's still being brought to the fore. It's not, you don't feel like it's just dying out, you know, when you yeah. hear that line, and especially in a modern context, you know, whether it's gun dogs yeah. or fly fishing. And it's great to hear it, like, and, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. actually yourself, Tom, as well. Like, you know, you're, you're a Gwailgore, Tom. Um, you know, that's, that was your first, wasn't it, Tom, your first language growing up? Like, wasn't Well, it? no, it wasn't actually my first language because uh, no, neither of my folks are, but I'm from a Gaelic area. But everything I did through uh, primary school was through Irish. I had one year of school here, uh, secondary school in Carnamona, and actually did my first year of science through Irish. So I know how to get the volume of, uh, of a stone through Irish. It's Deloosh Clocha all. We're really digressing here, but yeah, we're really yeah but... I worked in I worked in O'Malley's Bar in Carnamona for about four years in back in the nineties, and that really brought up brought up my uh, brought up my Irish. Really did. Can, do you mind if I just wouldn't mind going off on a tangent just for a, <laughs> a second here, just to divert away, like. Just for like, because I hear you using the, you know, you, you do often trying to use the Cooper Focal the way George does it as well. Like, is it something that just you're always trying to bring to the fore consciously in terms of your day to day living, just to kind of make sure that, look, you don't lose it or don't forget it? Or what is it like? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think you do make a conscious effort when you get a chance. I mean, you, you, you know, you're going to meet somebody that you can have a conversation in Irish with. You, you do. You make the effort. It, it, it enriches it enriches your life in every which way that yeah. that like i unlike you tom i wasn't brought up in the get area I, le- I i left school at 14 i left school very young and i had virtually no irish when i left school even after in spite of the fact that i'd given years learning it in school uh everyone in the class you say oh i hate irish like which is a ridiculous statement in a sense it was the way it was being taught in the classrooms they didn't they didn't sit us down and have a chat they made it an academic, ac- academic, and I think we rebelled against it. And and um, 
but the importance of it for me cannot be overemphasized. I think it, it's it's fundamental to me as an Irish person to be able to speak my own language. How did you go about learning it? Oh, a long story, but like basically I, I, I left home at 16. I went to live in England. I gave eight years over there and I kind of, in a sense, I kind of, after the eight years, I, I, I began to rediscover how important my Irish identity actually was. And as part of trying to recover my identity or to strengthen my sense of identity, I figured that the language would, would really help me in that regard, you know, and I set out to, to learn. And I had a couple of people, luckily enough, living locally here. I had a native speaker from Connemara who was one great man. He was, he, <laughs> he was a really funny man. I'll tell you, I'll tell you br- very briefly a couple of quick stories. He worked at, in fact in the Cashel Palace Hotel, right, as a waiter. But he was very fond of a drink. And, um, but like that was accepted because he was seen as a sort of character and he'd welcome, he was the main man at the, what would you call him? There's a name on it, a French word, whatever. It'd be a fall tour in, in Guelga. He, he, he'd be at the door to meet people coming and all that. And I could tell you some very funny stories, but I won't delay on it. But he was a great man. He really helped, he really helped me. When I, I'd, be, I'd be here where I'm sitting now and I'd be trying to figure out how would I say this in Irish? I'd get up and I'd go up to the, I'd say, Vesti, because that's what I call him. His real name was Fahin Sean Fahin Shoig, but everyone locally here called him Vesti, right? And I'd go up to Vesti and I'd say, Vesti, how would I say that in Irish? And he'd just say it to me and I'd write it down and then that would stick in my head, just that sentence. And it was the way he spoke the language. It was... It was just so beautiful and so poetic and, and, and it's so it flowed and it just it just hit a spot with me. It hit a place in me, somewhere very important. And I have I still get that feeling. When I speak Irish, I, I'm a member of, of Conor Nagalga here in Cashel. And we during the wintertime we have what we call our Chora Khoshtine, which is a little fireside chat we have every Monday night and the local Gwell Gores, of which there aren't that many, generally speaking, could be between half a dozen and a dozen people, depending on the weather and that kind of, and we get together on Monday night and we have a great outcrack. We talk about, we name it, same as anyone have a conversation in English. We have, we just talk about it in Irish, you know, and that's how I kind of maintain the practice. Cause I'm unlike most people in Ireland, except if you live in a Gertrude area or in an Irish speaking house, unfortunately trying to get, uh, practice is difficult, you know. So um, on a daily basis, I speak Irish. I make a point of speaking Irish. I just go into the local shops and I use simple phrases with people. And most people are very well and positively disposed towards the language, you know, and they'll make a little effort. But people can be shy about it too, you see, because they're afraid to make mistakes. And they're not one bit afraid to make mistakes in English, curiously. You know what I mean? But they're afraid and, of the and yet they make the, yet they make them in English. Actually, yeah. this is the funny thing: we all make, you know, we can all make mistakes in general conversation yeah. in English, but you know, we don't care when we do. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Too, you know, so we make, but like yeah. we do, people do in Irish because you know they're conscious yeah. of it. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's the speed of it as well. I think that's the kind of thing that you're conscious of because, like I said, you're you're exmoin of. You know, in Muerla, and then you're <laughs> yeah, trying okay. to kind of scale it. And whereas, yeah. and, and I always find the problem is like, like I said, I could think of the words and I'm trying to translate it in Irish before I yeah. say it. But then when you're saying it back to me, I'm like, 
probably got about a third you see, of that. It's mental gymnastics when you're yeah. learning it because you have to, first of all, formulate the sentence you want to say in the language that you're familiar with, obviously English. You have to then translate that into Irish, verbalize it. Then when you get a response in Irish, you have to translate that back into English and then try and formulate another. So you're doing that mental gymnastics all the time until such time as go down the closer to here until your ear gets used to hearing it and your brain becomes part of the process, if you like. So like I could be I, when I'm speaking Irish, say right now, I'm performing those gen, them, them gymnastics, but I'm so used to doing that that it happens very quickly. But if, if I give me 10, 15 minutes to speak to someone in Irish and then I my brain switches into Irish mode, if you like. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I don't yeah. have to do as much mental gymnastics, if that makes sense. You know? It's a bit like fly fishing. <laughs> Absolutely. <yeah. laughs> nice segue. Nice segue. <laughs> That's led in beautifully. <laughs> um, speaking, of, speaking of which, uh, George, where, where and how did fly fishing then come into your life? Well, my generations of my family have been involved in country sports such as hunting, fishing, ferreting, lamping rabbits, all that kind of thing. I, I was reared with it. My father was reared with it. We were reared on fast food, hares and rabbits. You know what I mean? That's a fact. That's the way we are. My grandfather had a famous saying. He said anything more than 20 years in the house was wild. Right? And fair game. I could tell you a million stories about that kind of thing. But basically, I was brought to the river when I was very small maybe six or seven years of age, an elder stick was cut out of the ditch. There was a bit of butcher's um, twine, maybe 10 yards of it, tied onto it, and then about a yard of nylon and a black eel hook. You put a worm on it and you threw it out. And we were fishing for eels. That's how I started off. Very primitive. But fly fishing, what happened was I... uh, I, I had a passion for it from first day. I couldn't wait to get back to the river again. I just, I, I'd eat and drink it and sleep it. I, I remember I got, I, mean, I wasn't thinking about it recently. There was a little booklet that I don't know if me, did my father pick it up in a tackle shop someplace or other. It was like, a, but it had all the different spinners and the baits and the flies and the rods because there was no tackle shops around at that time. I mean, literally there wasn't any. And I was looking through it and I'd, be, I'd give hours looking through it. If I only had that now, I'd catch more. You know, I was obsessed with it from first day. And then I was given a fly rod by a publican here in town. Right? It was two halves of two different rods pushed together, but they were seized together and couldn't be taken apart. And it was 11 foot long. There was a, a bad reel that the click was gone in. It was knackered. And I never forget it, a kingfisher line, the old silk lines. And I, I went down to the river with that and I would have to walk to the river because you couldn't get a lift in anyone's car because it was too long. You know what I mean? Unless it was good weather, they might give you a lift and have some without the window or something. But there was one chap here locally who used to give me, he'd be going that direction used to, on a Honda 50, and he used to pick me up. And I'd go down there, and I'd spend all the day down there with me 11-foot rod. And I just couldn't get enough of it. And it's like that ever since. I've been, I've been, I'm just obsessed with it. Obsessed. When you were in England then, did you cut, did you, did it fall by the wayside? And did it well, I got up you... stuff in England that I wouldn't talk about in polite company. And <laughs> I did a lot of things maybe I shouldn't have done. But during that period, I actually fished over there as well. I used to fish in the River Thames for eels under Hammersmith Bridge. Believe it or believe it or not. <laughs> Is that legal? 
Yeah, it is actually. There, there was other people. Now, I was fishing for There was other fellas there that knew about course fishing and all that. So, like, I suppose I was fulfilling my destiny in a sense. I was still doing it, but I was distracted by other things that weren't very healthy. But anyway, that's beside the point. When I came home, I immediately got back into it and I've been at it ever since. Like, I used to, when I, I had no transport. I'd get up in the morning, I'd head down to the river, give all day fishing, walk back in home, which is three miles, have whatever there was to eat, and then I'd head back down in the evening again for the evening rides, and then walk home late at night. That's, it was that obsessional, you know, it's like, gets into your blood in a sense, and eats. Eat. Then, when you got, like, you're talking there, like, obviously you just fish local first off. Then, yeah. but I, I ask you know, like, I, I know the shore is a huge river and you're only just talking about Cashel. But then when you right. got transport, did you start going to other parts of it? Well, <clears throat> you see, the shore is a bit is is more than 100 miles long. It's 115 miles long, right? And it varies in size where you could jump across it to where you'd need quite a boat and a couple of strong men to row across it down at the estuary. You know what I mean? So, like, it's it's there's a huge variety of water. And I'm very lucky where I am because I'm sort of midways along, if you know what I mean. Well, a third of the way down from the mountains. And we probably have the best river fishing in Ireland and possibly in Europe here. It's just incredible. I mean, the fishing on the shore, like I've been, I fished in many, many places. I fished around the world in different places and there was nowhere to touch it. Seriously, it's that good. The river fishing here is just phenomenal. It has the highest density population of trout per given area than any river in Europe. And that's an actual fact that's compiled by the various fishing, fishery authorities. We have a, a huge head of fish in the shore. But I'll tell you, you need to know your stuff to catch them. Anyone can go down maybe and catch a fish or two on a given day. But to catch them consistently on the shore, you need to know your onions. You know what I mean? And I've seen people... I'll give you an example. I brought, I've taken people from all over the world fishing on the shore. And just to give you an example, now I've met some very good anglers. A lot of them were, were fellas like Dutchmen who have no trout whatsoever in their own country. But they were great anglers because they put the time traveling around the world and, and they were extremely good fly anglers, despite the fact that they had no trout or rivers essentially in Holland. But anyway, to go back to this guy, just one guy who struck me in particular, and there's no reflection on him, but the truth is the truth. He came from America, and he shook me a hand, and as Americans do, and he handed me his card, <laughs> you know what I mean? And he had a triple barrel name, you know, something junior or whatever the case. But he was a lovely fellow, but he had letters after his name, game angling instructor, casting instructor, this, that, and the other. And I brought him down to the shore of an evening, and there was a fall of spinners on the shore. And if he was there yet, he wouldn't catch the fish. Now, that'll give you an idea, you know, like this guy was was very skilled in his own place. And like he had people, he had a long list of people waiting for him to take him out and instruct him. But like when it came to the shore, he said it afterwards. He said it's a very, very testing river. He said he called him pesky trout. He called him. Now, he caught a couple, but like. Actually, can, I just, uh, can I just ask yeah. from that particular point? 
Why didn't he catch them? What was he doing wrong? Just what there was, was, a, there was a number of things he was. There was a number of things. The first thing I noticed, you see, I didn't want to be telling him what to do because, like, he was a game hanging instructor. I was only a half Egypt from Cashel. Like, do you know what I mean? That didn't like. When I look back on it, I, I in fact, I knew an awful lot more than I thought I did at the time, right? But I was a young lad then. Like, I was in say my late teens, and. Um, I didn't understand that. Like when I when I saw this fellow with letters after his name, like I said, I better stand out of the way here and watch this guy because he. First thing is he didn't know how to stalk trout. He was used to catching trout that were handy to catch, and they weren't. That's I can only assume that that they they were they weren't um lead, they weren't leader shy or they weren't aware of people as an enemy. If you know what I mean. The trout on the shore, like you won't catch them unless you know you, you need to know how to stalk and you need you need to know how to approach them without alerting them. And he seemed to be alerting them an awful lot. So he'd be just about to cast and the trout would go down. Now I know for a fact at that stage that nine times out of ten he wouldn't have gone down on me because I would have used a different approach because I had learned over through the years and I'd watched my father doing it, stalk and fish. Like my father could give 10 minutes watching the trout before he cast the fly, you know what I mean? Until he'd figure out exactly what he needed to do. Because he knew that if he didn't do it in that particular way, that he'd put the fish down. The trout in the shore are notorious for that. They're 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 difficult to catch. And he was just that was one of the mistakes he made. When he would cast, he'd cast his line directly up to trout. Immediately, like lining them with it with just the leader. You know what I mean? The leader is enough to put him down. You need to come at them from an angle, either right or left, you know, from, from 45 degrees, 30 degrees, whatever. You need to come at them from an angle. It's so easy to actually alert them to your presence, particularly in the summertime. Like in the Sherry Spinnerfall, like the river is low at that time of the year. You're talking mid-June into July. The river's very low. It's gin clear. Then if I've seen them. You could be you could get in downstream 20 yards from a trout and think that you're out there getting into the river, and next thing he'll stop. And you're He'll stop. Like he has sensed you in some way. He knows that you're there. You know that's like I'm not exaggerating. That's actually how how what do I call it? How difficult it can be. And this guy simply had never come across fish like that before. Can I ask you, George? Actually, it's interesting when like you know using the word stalking and and that yeah. kind of language and and it's one of the things you do kind of re- read about and you know in terms of tips um, and hints, but. Do you think coming from that outdoor pursuit background and gun dogs where you're used to being out in the field and, you know, what it means in terms of even the wind blown, that, that's a great skill set to have that you can you then see, bring to fly fishing? Essentially, when you're trout fishing, particularly the type of fishing that I do, you're hunting. That's it. You're hunting. It's the same as like if you're stalking deer. You know what I mean? There's an old saying of you're stalking deer. Walk a little, look a lot. And it's the same with trout fishing. Walk a little, look a lot, size things up, figure it out. A lot of people blunder about. Walk up the bank of the scary be fishing the area. They get into their clumsy wading. Like there's you require a level of finesse that you need you need it. Like it's essential to be consistent. Like I say, anyone can go down and blunder around, maybe catch a trout or two. But to go down and to be consistently able to catch those fish. In the difficult conditions, that's what separates the fella. And I, I, I find I think you'll probably agree with me here, Tom. That um, fellas that hunt as well seem to excel 
or, or not, not in every case, but generally speaking, fellows that hunt as well tend to be better fly fishers. I was just going to say it, and even on the lake, and you think on the lake, because you're not stalking as much, although you can stalk, mm -hmm. but I was just going to say that good hunters, good shooters, quite often make very good uh, yeah. trout angles. You know? Because they transfer the skills from the hunting into the fishing. Mm -hmm. And like essentially they're the same thing, you're hunting a wild creature. Like, yeah, I've seen guys who weren't very good casters, right? Yeah. Who could slew trout. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, but mm. because they, and it was because what they made up for le, le, what they lacked in their casting. Yeah, and just everything else of them, they're just like hunters. Yeah, they really yeah. were. Just and like I, I would, I would really like emphasize that because I can't cast for shit. I'm not a good caster by any measure. I what I try to do. Like, if you asked me to cast 20 yards of a line, I'd make a bosom. I just wouldn't be able to do it. Like, well, I possibly would. I'd struggle. You know what I mean? But if you show me a trout, I'll get within 10 feet of it. That's the difference. I don't need to be a good caster at that stage. You know what I mean? Like, most of the 90% of the trout that I catch on dry fly, 90% are within two lengths of the rod. And the rod I use is nine foot. So they're, they're within 20 feet of me. But I have what do I call it? I have stalked into that position. That's where I tend to succeed, where the fellow who can cast 20 yards, he won't have the same level of success because he's going to alert heaps of stuff. When you're fishing one trout in the shore, you're possibly, you have to wade really gently because you're pushing other fish out of the way to get to that fish. And if you wade if clumsily, they'll scatter really quickly. But if you you can move them nice and gently out of your way, if you know what I mean. If you stalk gently, the, tr the trout will be aware. And if, if I'm trying to describe a situation where you have a trout rising, there's other trout between you and him. They're not rising, but they're there. There's no question that they're there because the river is stuffed with them. So, But if you move quickly through them, you'll scare the fellow that's rising. But if you move nice and subtly and nice and quietly, they'll nicely move quietly out of your way and they'll allow you to go up to the other fellow. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how I do it. How has it been in recent years in terms of the quality of the fishing on the shore? Um, you know, I've heard stories in terms of, you know, people kind of talking about decrying the, the kind of the hatches and the fly life that it's kind of gone down in recent years and that's affecting the fishing as well. Would you agree? There's a contradiction in a sense, right? I've been fishing the shore since I was a child. I've been fishing the shore for 50 years or thereabouts. And the best years I've had have been the last four in terms of quality of trout and size of trout. Now, there's a couple of things. There's a couple of reasons why. I've caught a lot of trout in recent, in the last four years, in the three, four and five pound bracket, right? They're big fish by any measure in any river. Now, in the preceding 20 years, I mightn't have caught a tenth of the amount I've caught in the last four years. Now, I have a theory. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. I've been catching a lot of bigger fish on dry flies. We had a crayfish plague. It was brought in by kayakers, apparently. Wiped out the crayfish in the river. Now, this is just my own theory. I don't know whether it would stand up to scrutiny scientifically or anything. Those big fish would have been, their primary source of food would have been the crayfish. And now it's no longer available to them. So they have no alternative but to feed on flies. 
Now, that's just my theory. And hence, I've been catching a lot of more big fish on small flies, essentially, which I wouldn't have done to anything like the same degree in the preceding 20, 30 years. I hope that makes sense to you now, that you understand what I'm trying to tell you. The, like, the mayfly, right? We had a, a famous mayfly hatch on the shore, but it disappeared, essentially, for the last 10 years. There'd be a little dribble, maybe, the last week of May, first week of June. There'd be a little dribble now and again, not enough to get fish going. But curiously enough, in the season gone by, we had a good mayfly hatch. Now, I've written an article, in fact, about that now for um, next May, May the 6th. It's out, I think, on fly fishing and fly tying on that very subject, on, if you like it, the resurgence of the mayfly on the shore. Now, it may only be a blip. They mightn't appear again for another 10 years. But we had high water during the mayfly period in the season gone by in 21. The last week of May, the first week of June, it was just, I mean, it was just unbelievable. I mean, like, it's just unbelievable. A friend of mine, I was fishing one day on one bank. And generally speaking, you can cross the river in a lot of places. But uh, I saw two trout rising on the far bank or under the far bank, which would be about a 20-yard cast. Now, as I've already said, a 20-yard cast is... I. I don't even be wasting my time. And I couldn't get over to the other bank because of the high water. So a mate of mine phoned me that evening. He said, I'm going fishing tomorrow. I said, go up to such and such a place. I said, I saw two trout rising. I said, if you get either one of them, I said, if you can get even one of them, I said, you'll have a serious fish. Now, this guy had never caught any really big fish in his life. Right? And I have these, I have these, he video, he had a kid with him. He brought a kid with him for the day of fishing. Now, the kid wasn't fishing, but he brought his mobile phone and he videoed it. He caught both of the trout that I described to him, right? One of them was six and a half pound and the other was eight pound, right? Incredible fish. Like, the, I have the photos of them. They're just animals. <laughs> I mean, like, now, those fish came up for mayflies, right? For obvious reasons. They don't have the crayfish anymore. So now they had a substantial meal, we'd say, in a relatively decent hatch of mayflies. And we had a period of maybe a week to 10 days where the mayfly was back to what it was. But it was only at a particular stretch of the river, about maybe a half a mile to a mile of the river. It used to hatch all over the river. It would hatch from Turles all the way down to nearly Care, which would be what, I suppose, go to 15 miles of the river. You would have a prolific hatch of mayfly all along that stretch. But now it was only in a section, a small section, if you like. But it was phenomenal while it was there. Can I ask you, George, is dry fly, like, is that your go-to method? Like, is that what you... Oh, that's my favourite method. Without, like, I fish all methods. Like, funnily enough now, I've actually, my most recent video, I've, uh, I'll be putting it up on the channel now shortly. I did it on wet fly fishing because... Wet fly fishing is old hat now on the shore. Everyone fished me wet flies here. When I was a young fella, nobody fished that many wet flies and dry flies. Now, every single fella you meet, you're on it, you're on it, you're on it. I met lads down on the river there last year, right? They were from Dublin, as it happens, right? I never met anyone from Dublin when I was a young fella down there. But anyway, these fellas arrived on and... They said they were going fishing. I got talking to them and I said, there was a few trout rising. Oh, we don't, we don't bother with the dry fly, you know. It's, uh, we're, uh, we're the Euro nymphing, you know. They don't know any other method. That's it. They don't know any other method. 
the Euronymph exclusively. And that seems to be the trend of people that are now coming into fly fishing. It's Euronymph and exclusively. But I think they're at a great loss. I think they're losing out in a big way because for me, to see a trout coming up and taking your fly off the surface, particularly an educated trout that other fellas tried and they couldn't catch, to be able to catch that fish is the challenge. You're an infant to me, like I do it from time to time, but like it's monotonous. It gets monotonous very quickly, you know. If I see a trout rising, I'd throw the you're an infant right away. Like I'd sooner fish one trout with a dry fly than maybe catch 50 on the you're an infant which of course is possible because it's a devastating method of catching fish. There's no question about it. It's lethal. I mean, I do it and I know how to do it. And like, it's super effective. My second choice is upstream nymphing, which is like sinking dry fly. I call it. <laughs> I, I love upstream nymphing because it's a completely different thing than, than neuro-nymphing. And I've been doing that for donkey's years and I really enjoy that. But the principal thing is the dry. I love the dry fly. It's just, it's pure bliss. There, you were on about the wet fly there. It was interesting because you did your chat with David. Um, David Donovan. No, yeah. Dave and David uh, Anshel. Yeah. Oh, David Anshel, yes. Yeah, and like, just that I think David had said, well, like, it wasn't sort of saying, you know, talking as if the wet fly was a matter, sure. Yeah. Sort of like, yeah, there's no skill in this. But I would be of the opinion that, like, a lot of things, like, people said the same about wet fly in the lake, yet there are certain people, even on a lake, that are far better wet fly anglers than other run of the mills. And I've heard the same for river anglers as well. I'm sure that there's... That, that Absolutely. There's, yeah. I, I watched, I watched fellas, right? Old stagers, as we call them, right? Old stagers fishing wet flies. And it was absolutely uh, poetry in motion. These fellas fish these wet flies. They'd go along, right? And they'd be ducked down. They'd be down like they were stalking a deer. And they'd flick the wet fly in under a bush. It would go into a gap maybe six inches wide and that little fly would go in there and, it, and you'd see his hand and, he, and he'd have skill. I mean, brilliant skill. Now, I tried to do a small bit of that in the video I'm going to put up. I'll put it up in the next few days up on the channel. So have a look at it and leave a comment and tell me what you think. Um, wet fly fishing is neglected now and it's so lovely and so relaxing. Like when you're fishing, say, upstream nymph or uranymph, there's a massive amount of concentration involved. You can be very tired after it. I mean, like you're lobbing and you're watching the line and you're feeling, and there's a huge amount of every, all your energy is going into it. And it, it's, it's um, very, very, very involved. Wet fly fishing is just so relaxing. Drop your two or three little wet flies out there and let them swing around. I've rediscovered it, if you like, and I love it. <laughs> I've rediscovered it after, no, I've, I fished wet flies a few times in recent years, but making the video about it has kind of rekindled my love for it. And I went down to a bridge down locally here and I filmed a bit of the video there. And what was really lovely was um, I spotted a place out in the river. The river's fairly high at the moment, but I spotted a place where I, I knew there had to be a trout. And I spoke to the camera and I said, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to fish that area. I won't fish off at the bank because my flies will swing too quickly because there's too much water between me and there. And I know that if I go out here, I'll, I'll be able to hold the line off the water and the flies will spring it, swing at the correct speed. And I went out and I did that and bang, I got this lovely trout about a pound weight. And it was great for the video, you know, because it demonstrated clearly how effective the actual wet fly is. It's, it's a lovely way of fishing. 
And like I say, you would no one won't see anyone doing it anymore. And it's sad. It's a good time of year, though, as well, though, George, isn't it? For people, if they're thinking of, you know, dusting down the rods, maybe yeah. you know, to, to, to get out with the wet fly early in the season on the shore. Oh, it's lovely. I mean, like, but I, I haven't seen anyone fish wet flies on the shore in donkey's years. That's literally true. And it, it's just so effective. Like, and I mean, it's so relaxing. It's so lovely way of fishing. You know, it's, 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 um, it's a loss, really. And those guys, we say the new fellas coming in who, like, they want to be disparaging in any sense, but like they're 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 missing out on like the traditions of fly fishing, like wet fly fishing, dry fly fishing, you know, like the things that are the cornerstones of fly fishing. They're missing. I I spoke to fellas down there, like I said, they're from all over the place, and uh, they don't even have a dry fly in their box. Bead headed nymphs, and that's it. They don't have anything else, and that's sad. I think you know because it's become very one dimensional. You would hope, though, maybe that if it's a way in, that maybe then, you know, they develop on further, you hope, and, you know, they kind of go right yeah, up. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case because, you see, you can teach you can teach someone to Euro now. They don't have to be able to cast. They don't have to have any idea about the ecology of the river. All they just need to do is keep lobbing that yoke in and they'll catch fish. You know what I mean? So, like... I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe I'm looking at it from the wrong direction, but like, it's super effective, no question. Like, I mean, it's deadly, but like, it gets very monotonous for me very quickly anyway. Yeah. I think, that, look, I think that, look, isn't it, there's a time and a place for everything, you know, and it, it's, it's reading the conditions as well and knowing when, yeah. to, when to use what, like, um, yeah. but I think as well as it's, I think there is a point there in the sense of it's probably, ref, it's the efficiency of it that there's something like that that's reflective of our modern take on life. Absolutely. That, that everything Absolutely. we do has to be, duh, 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 you yeah, know, right. Yeah. I've got my error. I've Instant got my gratification. Yeah. That's, that's the word. Exactly. Well, like. What's it, um, your man said about that? The problem with instant gratification, it just takes too long. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was one, I can't remember who said it, but yeah, that, that is there. Like, and there, there's so many of them. And like, there's places in the river that I used to always fish and I don't bother going out there anymore now because every time you go there, there's fellas lobbing euronyms there. You know what I mean? But they're lost when it comes to the, the summertime, when the river drops down, choked up with weeds and all that, they're at home watching golf or on TV and I'm down among the weeds with my little seven footer casting the 10 foot line <laughs> and I'm catching loads of fish. Do you know what I mean? And they're losing out on the cream of it. That, for me, is the cream of it. And if they ever did it, they would immediately see that that is, that is the, 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 the be-all and end-all of fly fishing, is to be able to go along when the conditions are difficult and to be able to catch fish of a summer, of a July evening. That's, that's it. Okay, catch that on the short show. As the current catch shots we gave you. Will you ask... All will club in the What's the Tashi Darfal here? Tashi Darfal OM fan, if you want. Tan and Sogam is Fed Lenya Tachoem, Neil 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 Oberle Enya Ramalia, Carwell, George McGrath in a Coney, August Shawlishit Coenbe. August, no, it's in Ella, like, 
سوس دورش انشين انشين تقول يسكروك ماي سوس انشين هو well i i'm 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 presuming anybody listening would would have picked up privadoc august club or august durless for for um oh have on on uh on this can so uh tom august to hand dara fall to uh roy bert order be then tango i loms august ramy demacher and on was vech <laughs> but you know what I think that's the way to end it <laughs> well it's been um, George it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you um, actually you know, I think we should catch up with you again because I'd say sure. I think there's a lifetime of stories there still that we have have a million of them we haven't oh, even scratched the surface. Not and, even scratched it, yeah. <laughs> and I for can any, tell you stories to make your hair stand on end. <laughs> oh, I, absolutely. And come here, for anybody to um, go to YouTube and to go to gun, search for Gundog and Fly in YouTube yeah, and, find come me there, yeah. and be, join one of the 10,000 subscribers. Yeah. Um, are you going to be doing now for the for the coming months now? Are you going to be doing regular um, fly fishing videos now for people? Oh, I will indeed, yeah. I'll have a lot of them. I have, like I said, I, I'll be putting up the wet fly one in a few days there now. I think people will enjoy that and like i said it's kind of rekindled my love for the old wet fly again i have plans for other ones as well as well as that i'm tying down at the uh adair springs angling fair uh the end of the month uh or sorry last day of april first day of may apparently from what i understand it's going to be a great event there's a lot of uh, stuff happening down there a lot of big names arriving and stuff so that'll be interesting you know Oh, absolutely. And actually, stay tuned um, for people that listen. Our next episode, we're going to be talking to Paul Proctor in the next few weeks as well. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, river fishing tactics as well with Paul. Um, he'd be well known to, to um, people, um, especially the Trout and Salmon magazine. So, yeah, look, definitely one to look out for. George, definitely catch up with you very soon. Thank, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks to George McGrath for joining us on the show. And don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.